Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sorry about the noise. My neighbor's sanding his deck. My motto, don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Welcome into another edition of Trailblazers, where we talk to Kiwi sportswomen who are doing great things in the world of sport on and off the court. And my guest today, well, I guess she's kind of... The first lady of New Zealand basketball. That's what I'm going with anyway. A two-time Olympian, four decades. She's giggling already. 13 years playing for New Zealand and now certainly guiding the future generation of basketballers. Leanne Walker, welcome to Trailblazers. How are you? I'm great, Ricky. Thank you and thank you for that intro. I don't know about the number one lady in basketball, but... We'll take it. Look, we big up everyone on the show, so that's that's what we're going <laughs> with. That's how it goes. So, Leanne, like, let's go right back. How did basketball become life for you? Uh, started back in high school days, actually, at a, at a Portuguese college. Um, picked it up because a lot of friends were playing it. Just an opportunity to get into town. We live rurally, so a chance to get into town. And, um, you know, the kids there played lots of different sports and basketball is just another one that um, we, we took a liking to. It's funny isn't it because like I remember from my school days and I'm sure others do and listeners do is that basketball feels like it was always a sport on offer whatever school you went to big or small and and you, you could always play the game. Is that the case? Is that how it has been with basketball? It's one of those sports that anyone can kind of pick up and have a go at? Well uh, yeah I think so Um and you're right, it has been around and there have been plenty of opportunities for kids to play in various tournaments and, you know, that's how I got involved in it. We we travelled quite a bit from our little rural town to other little rural towns to play and then if you made rep teams, you went on to bigger cities, you know, Hamilton was the big smoke back then, so a trip there was like, wow. So, and I think, you know, kids have got opportunities now to pick up basketball wherever and, and whenever. And especially with the three x three game growing, you know, you can just pick up a ball and find a hoop outside. Mm. So it's definitely been around for a long time, and and as far as I know, has always been on offer. Yeah, is that possibly like because of mini ball back in the? Like, I'm sure just about every Kiwi kid played mini ball at some point. You know, mini ball probably 15 years ago really started taking off, and. Um, people started putting together, you know, proper competitions for our primary school kids. And, yeah, that's been a – I know in the Waikato especially, it's been a big foundation for um, our program here, definitely. What was life like growing up in Oporsuki? It's a town, I guess, um, that we that we hear about and maybe that some people don't know about that much, though. I've never been. Or what, What's life like in Oporsuki? Um. Well, we had a, a smallish high school, so about 600 to 800 kids um, from, you know, right around the, the Rohi. So, um, and, and we'd bus, lots of kids would bus in. So the township itself, out of there, we'd probably have about 
say 200, 300 kids, and then all the rest came from the outlying areas. So Oporto was a pretty cool little community. Um, everybody knew everybody, and everybody did just about every sport because you had to just to make up the team. Um, but when people did, um, you know, go on to further representation or higher honours, the community got behind them. Lots of, obviously, volunteer coaches. You know, my mum coached for a while, mm. got us into a whole heap of different sports. Um, and, yeah, just just people in the community got behind all their rangatahi. And, and you know, we, we would go and watch. We'd play our sport in the morning and then go and watch all the aunties and uncles in the mm. afternoon. And that's just what people did in, in little towns like that. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is that still where you'd consider home? Yeah, that's definitely where I consider home. Yeah, a special part of the country for sure. You, you said you know you played a, lot, a whole lot of different sports, but but was there one was basketball the one that you had the natural kind of aptitude for? I know you played touch to a very 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 high level as well, but was that your your passion? Um, probably not until I got to teachers' college. Actually, I, as every young girl, um, had a netball, had a shot at netball, and and even played through that up, you know, into my um, senior years. So netball was always in the background there. But um, I think basketball, once I got to teach at college and university here at, at Waikato, just uh, being around, you know, high-performing female athletes like Carolyn Gray, um, Jill George, people that I first started playing with, and the level was just so much better. And but I, I just really enjoyed the challenge. So... Yeah, I did. It took off probably when I when I made my way to um, university, um, and and just followed it through. And at the same time, that's when touch started. So when I was at university, um, again, just a bunch of like-minded students and good athletes got together, um, played a few games, and we actually got pretty good at it. And so went on to higher levels there too. So mm. yeah, probably university years. Through high school, I was probably following more the netball path and would go to um, various trials and stuff for netball. Yeah. So at what point, when did you make your New Zealand day? But at what time, At what? I guess at what point were you making rep teams and age grade teams in basketball and, and therefore then getting up to that higher level? Probably around uh, 21, when I was 21, 22. So 1993. And, and again, it was when I was at um, teachers' college and university I made my first touch team, I think, in 1990. Um, and then 1991, I think I made um, a basketball squad. And then 1992, I played my first game for New Zealand, wow. for basketball. Mm. Do you remember it? Does it, does it stick out still, the, the, the debut? Um, well, we played Samoa. We were <laughs> trying to qualify for World um, 94 Oz World. So... I remember it for the people that were there, the people that I looked up to, uh, Karina Corditz and, you know, I, yeah, those, those types of players, Leonie Patterson, um, some big names around then and just playing amongst them, you know, initially I'd looked at them playing against them and thought, man, I wish I could be at that level and then to, to actually get to play alongside them and, and become very good friends was just awesome. So yeah, my debut against, against the Samoan team, trying to qualify for Worlds. 
Are you still? Are those people still part of your life? Like you remember, you know, we often talk about sport and and the off court and or off field or wherever, and the friendships you make and the people that you meet along the way. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So Carolyn Gray was probably one of the first um, women that I met here. She scared the heck out of me actually when I <laughs> trialed first for Waikato basketball. Um, our first few trainings, they were hard and. After the second one, I said to another mate of mine, I'm not going back. But um, they convinced me to come back. And, yeah, those those ladies I still have, uh, you know, in, in contact with all the time. And Leonie Patterson, she actually captained our team when I debuted. And she lives and works in San Francisco. And, yeah, we're still in contact to this day. She, whenever Carlise or Chris will go and play in San Francisco, she'll go and, go and watch them if I remember to let her know that they're coming so yeah definitely keep in touch with all of those older players oh that must be so nice so your daughter they she now gets to see your daughters carving it up in the states yeah that's good for my kids too because yeah you know when they need a bit of time out or, or if I go over there and just need a stop off place San Francisco's on the you know on the way so we just call in and, and catch up with Leonie, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, you were a, a very, very good basketballer to get to the to the level that you did. What was it like in terms of, I guess, resourcing and, and did you have to fundraise for, for trips or tours <laughs> or anything like that? Oh, Ricky, you should have seen the number of seafood raffles I had to do. And well, I had a big family, so I could spread these raffles all around the country. Um, but yeah, 100% we had to fundraise everything I mean all the way through to 2004 Olympics uh, we were were putting our own funds in to be able to represent our country but you know to be honest that never really worried us we just knew we had to get it done we found a way to get it done and just wearing that shirt you know made it all all worthwhile you would have given you know anything to to make that team and and represent your country and then to do that on a world stage at an Olympics and a, a world champ like you just couldn't ask for anything more and and I wouldn't have changed anything. Mm. It makes me laugh. I was talking to a lady today who has who'd done some fundraising for a girls' netball team and they had um, sold kumara. It's like, what yep. is, I, I love that there's still that kind of element that that's what you have to do. You sell whatever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And people get behind you, right? They'll buy whatever too. Probably don't even like kumara. Yeah. But they'll buy it, you yeah. know, just to support you to to help you reach some of the goals and aspirations you set for yourself. And we still do that today. You know, we're we're still helping kids, trying to get to whatever representative level or this tournament, that tournament. So, yeah, that's just part and parcel too, I think, of the community, the sport community. For sure. Takes a village. Um, Mm -hmm. You went to – you – Went to two Olympic Games for New Zealand. I think you were the captain in Athens in 2004, played Sydney 2000 and, and Athens 2004. Um, what, I, I can imagine probably Sydney, given the proximity to home, um, incredibly special. What stands out from, from that time and that part of your, your playing career? Well, with 2000, we'd been to the 94 World Champs, so a lot of that team had uh, come through together and we were just, Leading in the next uh, lot with Gina Farmer, Sally Farmer, those types of um, people that were around at the time, Megan Compain, Tani mm. Tupu. So it was sort of the old guard with the Leone Patterson, Sonia Ackerman's leaving, and then um, Tania's and, and Megan's coming through. And I guess what was special about that, we didn't have 
any massive build-ups or anything, but um, just the time that we did have together in the country, Tanya and Megan and those girls, Gina, were coming from the state. So just to have them come back and, and try and help lift our level was awesome, moving into Sydney. And, and I think the, the most the special thing about Sydney was it was the first Olympics that any women's basketball team mm. had been to. And it was because of the proximity. Um, Australia was the host of it. So we had to just win the Oceania spot. It's changed a little bit now how our teams qualify for the Olympics. But back then, we had to win an Oceania spot. There was only one spot, and more often than not, that went to Australia. So that year, um, we were fortunate because Australia were the host, and then the Oceania spot, we still had to play for it, uh, came up, and it was just a little bit easier without having to knock over Australia. Mm. Mm, extraordinary time. I, I can, yeah, I can only um, imagine. We're chatting today on Trail SENZ Trailblazers with basketball legend Leanne Walker. Stay with us here on SENZ. We'll take a quick break and more in a moment. Thanks for being with us on SENZ. You're listening to Trailblazers. I'm Ricky Swanell, and my guest is basketball legend Leanne Walker. We've been chatting briefly about her her on field on court career. Excuse me, I'm rugby brain. I'm all about the field at the moment. Um, you you went Leanne to to Sydney 2000 and qualifying for that first women's basketball tournament, and then you captained the team in Athens. I'd imagine the contrast between Sydney and Athens would have been something else. Oh, definitely. One, we had the experience of the first Olympics, so we really knew um, what the competition was like and, and the level you needed to be at. Because prior to that, we, we hadn't had really any lead-up games. Um, so having gone through Sydney and then um, basketball New Zealand actually got behind us a little bit more with Dave Crocker, who was the CEO at the time, helping find some funds. And we actually, prior to Athens, uh, toured for six weeks through Europe and Turkey, just one, to acclimatise, and two, just to get the games under our belt so that we could be competitive. Um, there was a little bit of controversy, actually, around us going to Athens. Um, one of the selectors of, for the Olympic team didn't think that we deserved to go, but in the end, you know, we came eighth. We made it through to the quarterfinals and proved him wrong a little bit there. But I think what, what was different was we just had a little bit more um, game experience at that level um, that prepared us better for mm. the Olympics once we did get there. Is there an element when you're sort of told, well, we don't think you guys are up to it, you're not going to fit our criteria, that you'll go, well, we're, we're bloody well well and we'll damn well show you? Damn straight there was. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there was that little bit of a chip on the shoulder. And to be honest, in the first few weeks of us being in Europe and, and in Turkey, we were getting smoked. Because we just, you just had to get used to the pace of the game, the physicality, and once you get over that hurdle, then you can be competitive. The other thing was too, probably not understanding the level of fitness and condition you had to be in, um, and and just the ability to to defend like your life depended on it, and and put some shots away. So we'd come through um, Sydney, and we'd we were going through Europe. And initially getting pasted, but by the time we got to Athens, we were ready. A lot more competitive and a lot more battle weary, I guess. Yeah, because what what would have been like the I guess the balance of the team in terms of um, you know it, was anyone was Megan in that anyone I was thinking was, he, was there anyone yep. full time? So Megan was in that team. How many kind of full time players versus those who were um, you know who were still juggling life and jobs and other things? Uh, Probably full-time, we would have had Megan, Gina, 
I'm not too sure if Sally had already come back from um, the States, but Gina had gone on to play in Hungary. Uh, Tania was playing mm. in Australia and in Adelaide at the time. Who else would we have had? A handful. That was, that was probably, yeah, the, the bulk of the people that were just playing basketball and that was their job. And then um, the rest of us were mothers and, and working full time. And well, not all of us mothers, hmm. all of us mothers, but all of us working full time. So, yeah, there was a bit of a trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, was there, and you talk about, you know, basketball in New Zealand getting you some resource. Had there been any kind of spin off for, for the Tall Ferns, for the women's team, after the success of the Tall Blacks? Uh, what was it, 2002, where they, uh, um, yeah, tall, tall Blacks, sorry, when you had 2002 in the, that World Champs? Well, I think so. And I think, um, you know, in basketball New Zealand and their board and, and CEO appreciated. Um, how well the boys had done and, and looked at resourcing potentially the tall ferns a little bit more too. So there was probably a, a good spin-off with um, their success. Um, and then, you know, we proved that with a little bit more resourcing that we could be competitive on that on that world stage as well. Mm. Yeah. Finishing up your your playing career, you have gone and well, you, now you are coaching full time. But w- did you always want to go into coaching? Um, I probably had dabbled with it given that I was a teacher and yeah. there was always a school team to coach. Um, but it wasn't really until my daughters decided that they were going to keep going with basketball and trust me, I got them to play every other sport under the sun. <laughs> Um, not necessarily putting them down the basketball route because oh, they were always there though at, at trainings and games so I guess it was almost a given but it wasn't until they started playing and started to get a little bit serious and, and being in rep teams that I thought I'll put my hand up and, and get a little bit more serious about the coaching. Ah, that's interesting. So I, I would sort of thought uh, the natural progression because how so we should sort of clarify who your daughters are and how when you say you know they play a bit, they're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so my daughters are Crystal Ledger Walker. She um, went over to the States on a scholarship actually, and then my middle daughter who just followed her, Charlie Ledger Walker, and then I've got a third daughter. She's um, and now, so Tanika Walker. And so the two older girls are, are in the States and, and Tanika is playing as well. Is she sort of looking down that path too? Uh, Crystal's actually finished, finally, she reckons. Uh, <laughs> she's finished. She came back here and played in the Tauhi yeah. League, so it was her first professional gig at basketball. And now she's playing in Townsville um, in the Australian uh, WNBR. And Carlisa's still at um, Washington State University. Um, she's in her third year, so she's a junior this year. And Tanika, uh, she's year 11, goes year 12 next year. And yeah, she's gone down a, a similar uh, pathway as her sisters. She was in the um, New Zealand under 17 team that went to the world earlier this year. Amazing. And Charlize has just th- hit 1,000 points for Washington State, you must be so, yeah. so proud. <laughs> well, I always give her the little critique and, ah. you know, I'll, I'll say, the game she got 35, I, I messaged her and I said, oh, well done on your 35, but you still left a few out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, no, super proud. She's done, she's done really well, but 
that she she worked hard. You know, she worked hard at her craft, and um, hopefully she gets the reward mm. from all that hard work. And, and so does Crystal. Uh, when Crystal went over initially, and even the coaches commented about how over the um, four or five years she was there, just the transformation, especially in terms of her um, her body shape and her fitness levels. So, and I guess you know they're quite lucky in that regard. They've got each other to to bounce off, and they come home here and, and push Nessa along. So. Yeah, it's a pretty special time and they're all still sort of playing and, and can help each other out. For sure. And, and uh, Well, I mean, they, they can't take credit for being the reason that you went into coaching, but, well, you know, a little a little bit perhaps. But for you, as you've gone along this coaching path, and I know you've sort of progressed through the ranks and have, have been involved in various courses and, and different levels now, do you kind of have a philosophy on coaching or what makes a good coach? My biggest thing is that any of the athletes or my players enjoy it. That that's absolutely critical. And you know, like most most team talks, I always finish with now go out there and enjoy it. So my philosophy is to be able to play this game that we're all passionate about, but just love it while we're doing it and, and enjoy the whole experience. Yeah. We often talk, and it's probably one of the hot button topics in, in high performance sport, and is an issue being looked at uh, the lack of opportunities for female coaches at the top level. Have you found the pathway difficult, or have you found doors open? Um, I've never really looked at it actually. The doors have seemed to be open. I actually, I didn't open the doors myself, I didn't push them open. People would talk to me and say, oh, why don't you give this a go? Well, come along and, and be an assistant here. So, and, and, you know, the first time that I got involved with any um, national programs was with Jodie Cameron. And lo and behold, Jodie and I are still coaching together in the Tauahi League now. And she played she played um, alongside me for many, many years and in that 2004 Athens team. So, um, I, I think the doors have been open, maybe not much in the professional realm but now with this Kauahi League um, there's, there's definitely opportunities for female coaches to get involved in that and you know maybe make it more of a, uh, a full time thing. Mm. Do you have aspirations to keep pushing and, and to go further with your coaching? My aspirations probably just lie with the tall firms at mm. stage 12. As we know it, there's, a, there's a couple of levels to it so it lies with the tall firms because I, I would so love to see them back at an Olympic game. So whatever I can do on the sidelines to help facilitate that is, is my um, focus moving forward. But then that also comes back to the next level of that is just building these, these juniors and actually building the numbers of girls playing basketball and loving basketball. So if we've got a good foundation and we can build these juniors and build them with the skills that they need to be competitive at an international level, then we're getting that done and that's going to um, filter into the Tall Ferns program. So that's where my my focus is. So I, I will push on in, in, in the coaching realm just so that I can help um, yeah, bring players through and help that Tall Ferns program 
Well, we will get on to young youth athletes uh, after our next break. Stay with us here on SCNZ. We're chatting to basketball legend Leanne Walker on Trailblazers. Back in a moment. Thanks for being with us on another edition of Trailblazers here on SCNZ. I'm Ricky Swanell and my guest today is Leanne Walker. We are talking her basketball career on the court and then transitioning to off the court where she is a standout coach and her couple of three, all three daughters are rather handy, uh, to put it mildly. Um, Leanne, you're, you're sort of, I guess, at the coalface of school basketball and coaching and, and, and junior level. Um, basketball is a sport that we see just as exploding in numbers. Is that the same for girls or is it just the boys that we're seeing walking around in NBA shirts and, and playing in massive numbers? But is it, is it growing for girls? No, not as much as it's growing for boys. So, you know, I think the latest stats were 25,000 secondary school players but only eight thousand of those are girls. Mm. So yeah, that's a big that's a big hole we've got to try and and fill. Um, yeah. So those are the stats. Why Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's not growing as much for girls as it is for boys? Maybe there's a lot more choices um, for girls right now, and you know rugby's a, a perfect example of that. Um, you've got netball, so yeah, I just think there's a lot more choices. Um, it, it can be, if you're representing at the highest level, it basketball can be an expensive sport. Um, but yeah, I don't, I wish I, I wish I knew because then maybe I could come up with, with a solution. But yeah, the, mm. numbers, the numbers don't look good for the girls. Um, we are trying different things in, in various regions, i.e. girls-only competitions, um, you know, Girls Got Game, New Zealand basketball's put that out, trying to attract more girls. So, yeah, it's going to be a work in progress. I don't know what the magic answer is right now, but we just have to, um, again, help them learn learn the game, get a passion for the game, and just enjoy the game. If they're enjoying what they're doing, then they're, they're potentially going to stay around. Yeah. Is it... Um we're seeing, I guess, the increasing, I'll use the word professionalisation, but not in terms of the money for, for, for school athletes, uh, for young athletes. Well, I mean, what are you seeing in, in that space at the moment in, in the work that you do? What do you mean with professionalisation? I, I, I guess in terms of the, the programmes that, that, that they're doing, um, the hours that they're uh, putting into their sport, at that, in those yep. prem teams, those top-level teams through high yep. schools. Yeah, no, there is a, a massive um, load on, on some of these athletes and we talk about it all the time, especially when we're trying to um, allow them to cross-code or do more than one sport at a time. Um, and, hey, I'm I'm a firm believer that while you're young, try as many different sports as you can. I, I encourage that with my daughters. They all played touch, um, netball, basketball, so I, I encourage that cross-coding. But, yeah, it's really important that... Um, conversations are had between the coaches and the parents so that there is no overload on these kids because they'll have school um, basketball some of them will play club stuff and then they'll go on and do representative stuff so it's a pretty big load for for our elite for our elite athletes for sure. Yeah, I, I can't remember who we had on the, the show when we were chatting sort of similar is that what you, what anecdotally anyway is that a lot of the, the top level athletes in the schools are also high achievers across the board, they might be head girls or prefects or sports captains or, or whatever, does that, can that take a toll on them in, in terms of this ideal that they need to find and the impact on their mental health as well? 
Yeah, look, a lot of those kids, and, and I know a few of them, you know, Taylor Dalton, Charlie was a head girl, um, Lily Tolale. There's, there's a lot that are, um, like you say, high achievers across multiple areas. And the key there in terms of their mental health and well-being is one, making sure that, um, again, their coaches are talking and their parents are talking, but they've got good pastoral care around them. So um, especially in the school systems that the deans um, or people are looking out for their balance and their mental and physical well-being. So it's just, I guess, it's manageable. And obviously there's a, a few kids out there that have managed to do all of that. It's just having conversations and being open and transparent about what the kid needs at the time. And sometimes it might be, I need a week off. Mm. Um, and everybody's got to get on board with that. But, yeah, there is always, uh, um, you know, possibility of burnout, both academically, mentally, physically. And it, it is a, a, a real fine balancing act. That's doable if you've got the right people around you and, and supporting those kids. Yeah, I'd imagine, Leanne, like from from you, as you say, starting out as a, in teachers' college and your teacher background, from from when you first started teaching and coaching to what it is now, it must be a minefield, a whole different world for these kids these days. For the kids and the and, coaches, the, and the parents, yeah. How you how do you go on TikTok? <laughs> yeah, not too good on TikTok, but um, yeah, I mean. There's a plethora of things that you can um, hook into, and, and if I put my coach's hat on, being part of this halfway tanga program, um, high performance sport New Zealand, you know we've got access to core knowledge programs. So you've got experts in their field talking to you about energy systems and body in motion and professional practice. And you know, five years ago, you're like, okay, <laughs> I guess a little bit with my PE background, I, I knew a little bit about energy systems and body in motion, but yeah, there's just so many more things now that you've got to be considerate of when putting programs together and ha- helping these athletes be the best that they can be. Yeah, is there like a, a knowledge sharing between sports? And I know it's very competitive between the schools, not necessarily, but between the sports, the coaches, the teachers, and as you say, through um, HPSNZ, High Performance Sport New Zealand, to to really grow in that area to make sure, yeah, was, as we say, that whole kind of holistic approach? Yeah, I think there is, and again, going back to core knowledge, um, one of the high-performance sport New Zealand programs, there is a, definitely a lot of sharing across codes when you when you go into these workshops or, um, you know, residential. So I think across the codes, definitely, you know, coaches are talking to each other and, um, you know, discussing different issues that they might have coming up. Across the schools, <laughs> yeah, I still think that there's a level of, um, you know, camaraderie in terms of they want to make it better for, for kids in general, I, I think. I, I know um, with the schools that I work with around this region, like we'll talk together and, and talk about how we can make things better for our program. Um, but, yeah, I think definitely, and, you know, as, as little as we are with New Zealand, like we've got some amazing coaches here, so it's important that we tap into each other's knowledge and experiences so that we can make our own little, you know, um, team or sport just grow a little bit better. Yeah. But, yeah, it's all at our fingertips. Yeah. I think, I think there is a lot of, well, just in the um, groups that I'm working with, I know that we share ideas a lot.
Yeah. Do you have someone that you kind of go to, or I don't know, not necessarily a mentor, but a sounding board and um, various people that you use? Well, with my Tanga program, I've got a mentor in Tony Reading, and he was um, awesome. he football football coach. And yeah, worked with, yeah, worked with FIFA. So him. Um, if, if we're talking basketball, you know, I'll, I'll bounce ideas off off Jody. I'll bounce ideas off Carolyn Gray, Tyler Wilkinson, who's a another secondary school coach here. You know, we'll have conversations about about different things, and then it's just a case of getting alongside other people and, and just watching them run a training session. Poor um, guy on our, on our recent trip, you know, had me in his ear. I'm, I'm talking to him all the time. What are you thinking now? What's mm-hmm. going to happen here? So, yeah, I, I just think it's up to the coaches actually just to reach out and, and ask for, you know, ask questions if, if they want to make any progress. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd love to. How does the the coach mum balance go when you when you are coaching um, Charlize and Crystal and and and, and Tanika as well? So with those the older two, um, especially in national programs, I probably don't deal with them a lot. Yeah. So if there's anything, yeah, that's left to the other assistant coaches or the head coach. Um, so I just let them do their thing. They let me do mine. So not a lot of hands on stuff in the camp. I will, you know, definitely outside of camp give them feedback. If I'm watching other games, I think we need to be working on this. Or don't forget, in our last talking camp, we're trying to use this method a little bit more or whatever. Uh, with Tanika, a little bit younger, again, has got assistant coaches. Um, I coach you for high school and rep. Mm, I, I, I probably have a little bit more hands-on with her and, and right now, you know, she takes it on board. She's a guard. I was a guard, so I, I still have a few things I can offer her. But uh, yeah, that that will change soon, and she'll know more than me. Yeah. <laughs> Do they ever like, oh, mum? Oh yeah, all the time. Oh gosh, I can, man, what a cool, what a cool thing for the family to have though. Uh, stay with us here on SCNZ. We're going to take one more quick, quick break on Trailblazers and come back and continue our chat with basketball legend Leanne Walker. Stay with us. We've been chatting today on SCNZ Trailblazers with Leanne Walker about her basketball career, coaching philosophies, where things are at with our high school athletes and our school girl school girl athletes. Leanne, I, I guess basketball, um, as we talked about, has a a growing international profile, um, not so much the numbers for for the girls. Uh, how is is that is that a partly to a visibility issue? Seeing the tall ferns, that old adage, see it to be it. Yeah, I I think so, and that's where the Kawhi League for us in, in New Zealand is big. Um, you know, starting to get a little bit of a following in the different franchise areas. So it is, you know, see it to be it um, is really important, but. You know, we're inundated with um, basketball, with the NBA, the WNBA, um, and then it's so easy now through social media to access any fever event. So, and kids are real savvy with mm. their technology and social media, so they can follow it way more easily than we ever could. So, definitely growing and, and growing globally. You know, the three x three games um, just giving it another boost, um, but yeah, definitely. 
much more visible than it used to be. Yeah, as a, I guess, a traditionalist, how do you see 3x3? Because I, I watched it in um, uh, Birmingham at the Commonwealth Games and the place went off. Like, it was just a cool vibe, um, really, obviously, that short, sharp kind of game that people are looking for. How do you see it? Well, yeah, I was the traditionalist until Anthony Corbyn here in Waikato got me involved in it and, and I went away to a world champ with him under 18s, I think, and I just thought, nah, 3x3, you know, can't take over the five-a-side game. And they are different, um, but I think they've both got their, their places in the sporting world yep. um, and it's important that we keep the five-a-side going in the 3x3. But I, I did coach our um, senior women's team the first time we won the Asia Cup um, in Shenzhen, China and obviously um, started to feel one, confident with the game I guess initially being a traditionalist I didn't really know like heck, you can't coach on the sidelines like <laughs> what do you do there so you have to be really um, I guess you have to think about a lot of what you put into the game before they actually hit the court, because from then it's, it's all about the players. Mm. Um, but oh, I love the three three game, especially for individual skill development. If you can, um, you got to be able to shoot. You got to be able to shoot threes. You've got to be able to defend. You can you can hide that a little bit in five side, um, and you've got to be able to score in, in multiple ways in three three. And and if you can bring those skills and talents back to the five side game. You know, that, that's just going to elevate um, individual players as well. So, yeah, I, I love the 3 3 game. I think it's, it's another avenue for more of our kids to be involved in. And, and it's easy. You only need three players. You need a hoop. And, and more often than not, now these kids can find them outside. Um, so it's, it's easy just to go and play. You don't have to hire a hall and, and get 10 people to play a game. You only need six. So... Yeah, yeah, super accessible, isn't it? Um, you've super mentioned, accessible. yeah, you've mentioned the Tauhi League. How significant a development has that been for the game in this first season this year? Sorry, can you say that again, Ricky? The, the, oh, sorry. The um, I think I leaned on my phone. That's why. Um, the um, the Tauhi League. You've mentioned how significant has that been um, for for the game for for what we've seen, and and obviously it's just a start. I think. Yeah, hopefully it is just the start. I, I think it's important to showcase um, the level that women's basketball can be at. And by bringing in some of the imports, it helped lift the level. And then for our athletes here in New Zealand who haven't gone overseas, um, that can come through and, and play with and against some of those um, tremendous athletes, obviously is just going to lift our level. The side of um, the showcasing side of it, you know, now we've got our um, young girls that can come up along to these games and, and you create a bit of a fan base and then all of a sudden they're starting to know the names of, of some of these players. So that's going to be um, beneficial for the game and the women's game. Um, in New Zealand too. Yeah, and hopefully massive flow-on effects for the tall ferns. Um, wh- what would you like to see for the tall ferns, the the program ahead, um, and and where they can elevate back to? Um, as much as we've got the Tauhi League, we still need to have some foundation leagues underneath that, so that we've just got a bigger pool of players that can come through and push for some of these um, spots in the and the five franchise teams. And then leading into the tour ferns, we've got um, Asia, we've got qualifiers next 
Olympic qualifiers in July. So hopefully, you know, with um, those players that were in the Tauahi League, when we come to camps in New Zealand, they all make themselves available and then we can just have a, a, a better competitive level of um, training camp leading into those um, into that tournament in, in July. So hopefully a few camps um, early in the year, um, guys, hopefully proposing. And then by about April, May, our um, kids in the States are available and those that are playing WNBL or professional leagues overseas will be able to come back, say, May, June, July-ish, mm. and that we've got the best opportunity to put the best team we can out for the qualifiers for the Olympics. What about resourcing-wise? What do you need, aside from just a bucket load of cash? Other than a bucket load of cash, yeah. I mean, we, we just need the opportunity to get out and have competitive um, teams to play against so that we get used to that, um, that speed of the game, the physicality of the game, the way the game is refereed, actually. So we need, we need resources um, to be able to go away and, and do those sorts of things. Um, we probably need uh, more people being upskilled in the coaching realm so that as our juniors are coming through, um, you know, they're more familiar with our national style of play so that as the, as the kids come through the junior ranks, they can filter straight into a Torfern program and, and all be on the same page. So an upskilling of, of coaches as well, both at... Um, secondary school level, at mini ball level, um, just growing their knowledge and their experiences too. So that would be another good place to um, help move the, move the program, basketball forward in general. Mm. Do you have a, a big dream, a big goal for basketball, for women's basketball in New Zealand? Oh, just to um, regularly be able to compete at a world champs or at an Olympic tournament, that would be the ultimate. If we could get to get there consistently, um, you know, that, that's definitely going to attract and keep um, more girls in the game and playing the game. Well, Leanne, it's been such a pleasure um, to talk to someone who is, uh, is so at the coalface of so many aspects of, of a sport that um, feels like is sitting there and, and the opportunities and everything are, are coming for our women. So um, thanks for all the work you do and, and let's hope good things ahead. Leanne Walker, thanks so much for being on Trailblazers. Thank you so much, Ricky, for having me on here.